All right, let me ask you a question as we kick off tonight. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you felt that overwhelming pressure to conform? Right? Okay. I mean, you know, some of you might have been high school. Some of you, it might have been this morning. Some of you, it may have been your college years. We call it, in in your younger years, we call it what? Peer Peer pressure. That's right. As you get older, we get more dignified terms. Like once you start out a career, they say things like, here we have a corporate culture, which is a corporate way of saying, we're going to use peers to pressure you to conform to the way we speak or the way that we dress or the way that we conduct ourselves. And a lot of the pressure to conform, it's fine. It's good. I mean, the pressure to conform in maybe attire or hairstyle or, you know, the music you listen to or the shows you watch, it's fine. There's nothing good or bad about it. Styles come, pressures come. You go from skinny pants to mom cut jeans. It doesn't matter. Who cares? Nobody cares. You conform to the look. You feel good. It's fine. It's no problem. And every now and then you you find yourself in in a position where you're like, I feel like I stick out like a sore thumb and it feels very awkward. And right. I mean, have you ever had that experience? I led a church in California, and in my church, there, we, we were kind of like an Edmond kind of community. It was suburban Sacramento. It was a lot like, generally like this. But there was this one guy that stood out in our church. He had founded a hard rock band known as Papa Roach. His name's Jacoby Shaddix. You can Google him if you don't know who he is and look him up. And he was a regular attender at our church. And Jacoby is a rock star. Tattoos up the neck, all down the arms. He had like rock star hair, he had tattoos on his face, and he dressed like a rock star at all times, whether he was on a platform or whether he was in our church or at Starbucks or Costco, didn't matter. I asked him once, Jacoby, where do you get your clothes from? Like J. Crew or The Gap? I knew the answer, and it wasn't J. Crew or The Gap. I'm like, is there a rock star clothing shop? Where do you get what you get? So he, he didn't mind that he stood out in our church at all. He, he felt welcome. Our church was like, that's kind of cool. We have a rock star that goes to our church. That was awesome. Most people let him alone. Every now and then people wanted selfies with him. It was all good. Mainly it was me that wanted selfies with him, but that was a different subject. And, uh, but once when he was performing in the greater Sacramento area, they were doing this like heavy metal, hard rock kind of mega music festival. And he's like, hey, Bill, come and see me perform and you can hang out backstage. And so I show up in my khaki board shorts and my, yeah, exactly, right now, some of you are like, uh-oh, uh, and a blue polo shirt, as I recall, and tennis shoes, you know, and I'm like, this is gonna be great. And everybody was dressed in black and had tattoos all over their arms. And I, I had a tattoo once. I mean, it was like one of those press-on ones where you get wet, and it, but it was Harley Davidson, so it looked tough. And, uh, <laughs> I was wishing that day I still had the Harley tattoo because I just kind of looked like I had rolled in from Costco and accidentally made the wrong turn. Everybody was super nice, but I felt the pressure to conform. At that moment, I was like, oh, to give anything for black engineer boots and black jeans and a black shirt and an arm sleeve of tattoos. That'd be awesome. I'd just blend in because there's something about us that just wants to blend in, right? Unless you're like the one person that doesn't want to blend in, most of us want to. And there isn't a problem to blend in. There isn't a problem to conform to all that pure pressure. Except when, well, except when it is a problem, right? Except when the the internal barometer is uh, the alarm's going off. And you know, I I shouldn't be saying this. I shouldn't be doing this. 
I shouldn't be here with them. And you know, right? You know. If you're a follower of Christ, it's probably the Holy Spirit inside of you going, don't join yourself with this. And you're kind of going, oh, just be quiet. I don't want to look weird. I don't want to feel weird. And every now and then, you have the fortitude and the inner strength and, and you say, no, I will not succumb to the pressure to kneel down when everybody's kneeling down. I am going to make a strong stand. And if you've ever felt both the pressure but, but also the success, then you can relate to the three guys that we're going to talk about tonight. Their stories recorded in the Old Testament. And if you grew up in church, you might know their names. If you didn't, it's okay. We know them by their Babylonian names. They had Hebrew names, but they were deported in their youth, probably when they were in their early teen years to the town of Babylon. And when they got there, it was like, congratulations, you're not Hebrew anymore. Here's your new names. Enjoy the school and eat this food. And they said, no, thanks about the food. That's a different subject. But in the third chapter of Daniel, we, we learn the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Great names. In fact, someday, some of you are going to be parents. Just think about Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego. Very creative names. Biblical. And your kid would stand out in kindergarten. But that's for later. File that away. Put that in your to-do file. The story starts out, third chapter of uh, Daniel. If you have a copy of the Bible, I'd love for you to turn there with me. It starts out this. King Nebuchadnezzar, it's a weird place. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall, nine feet wide, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then he, he threw a party. He summoned the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the advisors and the treasurers and the judges and the magistrates and all the provincial officials to come to the, nobody normal got to come. It was the who's who of the government. And he brought him to the dedication of the image he'd set up. Now, okay, raise your hand if you think that's weird, right? I mean, sometimes we read these things in the Bible or we look back at the little points of history and we're like, what were those people thinking? Why, why would they do that? That's an awful lot of Gold, incidentally, it probably wasn't solid gold. I mean, who does solid gold of 90 feet, and nine feet wide? It's probably like gold-plated, but it still was gold. You see, um, Nebuchadnezzar helps to know a little bit about this guy. He's not just recorded in Daniel. He's recorded in history. All of history remembers Nebuchadnezzar. He's really one of the great world leaders. This guy was a collector. He was a winner. Wherever he went, he won battles. From his youngest years, he was a winner on the battlefield. He lost nothing. He was reared in Babylon, and that was the base of operations, which is in modern-day Iraq. But he also owned most of Iran, modern-day, and parts of modern-day Turkey, and all of Syria, and Lebanon, and Jordan, and Israel, and part of Egypt, and Saudi Arabia, and United Arab Emirates. If it was worth conquering, he conquered it. And so he had a, a trophy case. And in his trophy case was the gold and the silver and the rubies and the gems and anything of value. He'd roll into a town like Jerusalem and he'd say, I'll take that and that and that and just all of it, actually. Let's do that. And he took the best of the spices. If he uh, tasted a menu option from, uh, from, say, modern day Lebanon that he didn't have back in Babylon, he's like, let's bring the restaurant to Babylon. I like that food. But the other thing he collected was people. If you were uh, smart and good looking, 
It was, a, it was good to not be good looking and it was good to like not be all that bright because if you were good looking and you were real bright, you had a bright future, Nebuchadnezzar wanted you back in Babylon. That's how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got there. The children, the offspring of the aristocrats, of the ruling classes, Nebuchadnezzar said, bring their kids, I want them. And he enrolled them in empire school because they were gonna help make his growing empire successful. But it was a diversified lot. It was every tribe in his conquered region, every language in his, con his conquered region, every food uh, requirement within his conquered region and every religion within his conquered region. And they all showed up in Babylon. Sounds kind of cool, doesn't it? I mean, it really does sound like a diverse place to work like Google or something like that. You see pictures of Google and you're like, I'd like to work there. Besides like the cool office environment, like all the diversity of people it looks awesome. And it would be awesome. But besides the picture of diversity, with all of that comes some relational complexity, right? If you've ever worked or lived in a different kind of environment, you're like, oops, I didn't mean to stumble upon something that was offensive. I didn't mean to bring bacon to a no pork party. I didn't know. And so when you have all this levels of diversity, you have all kinds of disunity and you can't have that in the capital city. And so Nebuchadnezzar was no dummy. So Nebuchadnezzar figured it out. If we unify everybody around a shared religion, they can keep all their religions. That's fine. I don't care. It was a polytheistic world, but as long as they bow down to the big statue, the God that, well, I choose, if we can center ourselves around that, we will have unity. And so when we look back at this story, it's really helpful to know that, isn't it? There was a method in his madness. This wasn't just religion. This was about building, oh, I don't know, a corporate culture in Babylon. And so he says, let's uh, pull everybody together and have a particular service. Verse four, he says, then a herald shouted out, because, you know, the king, he doesn't shout. It's unkingly. So he has someone else shout out his orders. People of all races and nations and languages. See, there, there's the diversity. Listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn and the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp and the pipes and other musical instruments, which incidentally just sounds awful, all of that, all cacophonous music together. But to them, I'm sure it was beautiful, right? And so he says, when you hear all that, Here's what we're going to do. This is going to be awesome. Bow down to the ground and worship the King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. This is going to be fun. And anyone who doesn't, well, they'll be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. How great. This is a way to build team spirit. Bow down easy. Who doesn't want to bow down or become barbecue? That's your choice. And so the musicians, as they, uh, as they tune their instruments and the soldiers, they stoke the furnace. It's, it's big, it's loud. And even, even from a distance, you can, you can see the furnace, which ironically was probably the same furnace used to build the statue. It's now being used as a warning. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and they worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. What would you have done? You're on the plain of Dura. Maybe you've been here in Babylon five, 10, 15 years. It's kind of home now. You have a home. 
You've gotten used to everything. You know where like the streets are laid out. You're not from there, but well, you're from there now. Not going home. Home might be a pile of rubble anyhow. You're young. Because, well, Nebuchadnezzar didn't take old people back with him. It was kind of pointless. He took the gathering back with him. Bright, beautiful, smart people. Brings them back to Babylon. And there you are. You're on the plain of Dura. Your job's at stake. Your life's at stake. And everybody in front of you, music starts and they all bow down. And off to your left, they're bowing down. And off to your right, they're bowing down. It's hard to remain standing when everyone around you is kneeling, right? It's... it's um, it's harder to remain sober when everyone else is getting lit. Am I wrong? I'm not wrong. I was young once. <laughs> it's hard to remain virtuous when, well, everyone's binging that show, watching that series. It's hard to remain pure when, well, it feels like you're the only one being pure. It's just easy to kneel down with everybody else, isn't it? I mean, everybody's doing it. You're right there on the plain of Dura. And all you can see is kneeling people, face in the dirt. Why not? Everyone. Well, every, every almost everyone. You see, there were three guys. When everyone else kneels down, they remain standing. It says, it says uh, they get ratted out. There's always that crew of people and you're trying to be, you're trying to be discreet. It says that, that, at, that at this time, some astrologers, they came forward and they denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever, which seems a little you know, ingratiating to the king. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone when they hear the sound of the horn and the, the flute and the zither and the lyre and the harp and the pipe and, and all that kind of music, they must fall down and worship the image of gold, which incidentally, Nebuchadnezzar, seems like a terrific idea. We're for it. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into that blazing furnace over there that the soldiers keep um, stocking full of new charcoal and wood. But there are some Jews whom you've set, some Jews you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. And they weren't making a scene. They weren't hopping up and down. They weren't saying, I can't believe you dirty pagans. They weren't judging anybody. They were just not yielding. And they get called out. And, uh, and this can't be done because as we read right there, these aren't just uh, low-level, you know, administrative up-and-comers. These are the senior executives running major divisions of the corporation. These are guys that are in charge. You catch that? They're in charge of the province of Babylon. This is capital city stuff. They're not out on the frontier in the wasteland you don't care about. They're in your hometown and they neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold. And they can't get away with that. No, they cannot get away with that. 
And if you're Nebuchadnezzar at this moment, how do you feel? You've issued an edict. You're just trying to pull together everybody from this diverse lot. You want them all to just sing the same song. You're not asking them to do the impossible year. They don't have to turn their back on the past. They can keep it. They just have to add a little something to it. Why not be flexible? Why be so narrow-minded? Why? I mean, that's just ridiculous. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So the men, they're brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up? He doesn't let them answer. He goes right into the next proposition. He just goes, is it true? Maybe you didn't hear the rules. Maybe you were busy. Maybe your robes, which are so lovely, you were terrified of getting dirty and somehow that dirt on the robe would offend me. I don't know the excuse. Is it true? Now, here, you know, this, is, this is what we're gonna do. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image made, what's he say? Very good. It's all good. We're all good. You just, have to, you just have to succumb the once. But if you don't worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Later, Nebuchadnezzar might have wished he hadn't said that last line, but we'll get to that. What would that have felt like? What would it have felt like to have been Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in that moment? I mean, it's one thing to know the buildup of what's coming to have the courage as the music plays not to bow down. That took a lot of courage. It's another thing to get a second chance in front of the king, and this time he says, you're gonna lead the worship service, no harm, no foul, all you have to do, music kicks off, and you are gonna lead everybody in worship. You lay down, your nose to the dirt, we're fine, you're fine, you continue to lead, everybody's okay. That's some pressure. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they, they were raised in Jerusalem. They were, they were raised in an environment where they attempted to take God pretty seriously. And, and they knew the Ten Commandments. I mean, they might not have known all of the Old Testament, but they knew the Ten Commandments. And the first two of the Ten Commandments are, you can't worship other gods and you can't worship idols. And right in front of them is another God who happens to be an idol. But I, I honestly wouldn't have blamed them if they would have bowed down. If you put yourself in their shoes... There's all the reason in the world for these three guys to just throw in with their new territory. There is nothing easier than losing your parents' religion when you're far, far from home. If it's just something you have inherited, if it's just sort of in the air of the household and you're out of the house, it's time to try new exciting things. Easy. And it would actually make sense that they grew up in Jerusalem and Part of growing up in Jerusalem was being told this is a special city, the temple of God's here because it's the temple of God. This is like the lucky city. God won't let this city fall to those Babylonians. He will protect this city because his temple's here because he lives here. So he's not gonna let anything happen. And then the Babylonians show up at the gate and everybody's like, no problem. They will stand that side of the gate because the temple's on this side of the gate. And Nebuchadnezzar comes through the gate and takes over the city and takes everything, including the stuff in the temple. Now, I don't know about you, but at that point, the God that I had all this faith in, who was all-powerful, who would protect me, but didn't bother to protect my family, and now I'm in another country, and the king there goes, hey, 
no offense to your God, but my God's more powerful because I'm the winner and your God kind of lost to my God. So you can keep your loser God if you want. Just, you just like throw in with my God. And I don't know about you, but it makes sense to worship Nebuchadnezzar's God. Who likes winners? How many of you like Tom Brady now? Right? Yeah, right? He's a winner, right? I mean, it's easy. <laughs> I hated Tom Brady for the longest time, and now I'm like, okay, he won me over. He just keeps winning, you know, and he walks into a room, he's like, I'll take that trophy. It's easy to just throw in with winners. I grew up in Michigan with the Detroit Lions. They haven't won anything since 1955. It's very sad. It's a hard burden to bear. And even people in Michigan are like, hey, maybe we could trade the Lions to somebody. Not like a player, but like the whole team. Maybe we could get the Browns, right? Hey, all right, sorry. I didn't mean to mention the Oklahoma City Browns. Uh, <laughs> Just saying that I wouldn't blame these guys. There are times where, um, where it seems exasperating to have faith in God, right? We can be honest. I mean, because isn't he supposed to step up and protect his people and do the things we ask him to do? And so when he doesn't, doesn't it sometimes feel like, well, fine, whatever. Maybe I'll come back later when you're in a better mood. <laughs> if they did that, we wouldn't have this story, but at the same time, we couldn't really throw any stones. But that's not what these guys do. It says... Um, Nebuchadnezzar gives him another chance. He says, oh, Nebuchadnezzar, <laughs> we, we don't need to defend ourselves before you. You can tell the musicians to put their instruments away. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. We will, he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. Up till now sounds like good theology, but even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, you have that kind of faith? God, I believe in a God who can deliver me. I believe in a God who can provide for me. I believe in a God who will do this for me. I believe in a God who will heal this person that I've asked him to heal. But even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, and here's how to get fired. <laughs> Pardon the pun. We want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you've set up. You see, there's a fire that burns inside of them that's hotter than the fire that burns inside that furnace. They are more than willing to take the heat of that furnace because there is something cooking inside of them. It's remarkable. Even if he doesn't. To have the conviction, they had the conviction that God could deliver them, that God could make it work out, that God could turn this around. But their conviction wasn't in those things. Their conviction was in God. Their rooting was in God. Their faith was in God. They knew God could deliver, but even if he chose not to deliver, they were not trading in God. They were not going to trade up God. They were, they were going to surrender to God. It reminds me of something that Jesus taught. He said uh, much, much later, he says, don't be afraid of those who can kill your body, which is kind of a funny thing to say, but he said it. Don't be afraid of those who can kill your body. They can't kill your soul. That's good news. This is the second part that's a little weird. Fear God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. I, how many of you, that's your life verse? No, that's weird. Nobody's chosen that one. No one chooses the hell verses in the New Testament. Everyone's like, oh, I like the God and in a good mood God 
verses, but not the one where he talks about divine judgment. And Jesus said, don't be afraid of people. The worst thing that can happen is they can take your life, but that is just momentary. After all, your life is momentary. Think about all of life. Think about the history of the world. Your life, as long as it is, if you have a very long life, it just like goes by in a glimmer. I have the privilege of sometimes of doing funerals, and some of my favorite funerals to do are like dearly departed saints who've lived very full lives, and when they have left a widowed love behind, I always say the same thing to the widow or the widower. I always say, it went by fast, didn't it? Yeah. 60 years, and it went by like that. And I know you're like, 60 years? Are you kidding me? I've been married 25 years this summer. Went by pretty fast. No, applaud for my wife, not me. She had to put up with way more. Yeah, no, seriously. Seriously, if she's watching online, babe, they applauded for you, not for me. Okay. But you know, there are moments in your life, there's gonna be these clutch point moments in your life that you're, you're gonna have a choice to make. It's gonna be, am I gonna yield to the pressure of this moment? Am I gonna sacrifice the integrity that God has instructed me to have? Am I gonna give in, cave in? Am I gonna go along with a gravitational flow or am I gonna stand steady and strong? If it hasn't happened to you yet, it will happen. All of you have had it happen on some level. Trust me, the stakes keep going up. Happened to me four years ago. I, was, I found myself in a working environment under two very corrupt unethical, what turned out to be very immoral leaders. And this was in a church, not this church. Just to be clear, not this church. It was a different church, different state. And I went there thinking everything was good and I got there and I realized, oh, oh, what have I gotten myself into? But I have a mortgage and I have a kid going off to college. I have responsibilities, I have bills to pay. And in a turning point on that staff, they said, hey, we want you to take this other role. In order to take this other role, we want you to do these specific things. And I knew that it would be an erosion of my credibility. I knew it would be an erosion of my integrity. I knew that I would be lending to them part of me that I should not throw in with them. But the alternative was to completely resign. And I remember this Decision. I have other dependents who are literally dependent upon me, but to stay would be to dishonor the Lord. And it was a decision that took me maybe 30, 40 seconds because I realized I, I can't be part of this. I can't be part of them. And I made a tough decision and I traded in a minister's uh, uniform, if you will, for khaki and red and went to work for the glorious circle company, Target which was fantastic, by the way. It was so much fun. Didn't pay the bills, but it was fun. And God miraculously provided, and he brought us here. I mean, it was his provision, and we love it here, and we love this church. But you know what? Even if he hadn't brought us here, and even if I was still wearing khaki and red, I would do that all over again because it was the right decision to make. And sometimes the right decision will cost you. And sometimes there isn't this neat backstory on the other end. But what is on the other end is you. You are on the other end. And you are walking more steady and more confident in the Lord. Maybe you've made some sacrifices along the way. But trust me, you will be glad you made those sacrifices because they are the right things to do. As long as that courage, as long as that confidence is rooted in the Lord. And for Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, things got 
things got real. It said, then uh, Nebuchadnezzar was furious, <laughs> go figure, with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and his attitude towards them changed. He went from like, guys, would you, to them going, no, to him going, kill him. It says, uh, he ordered the furnace uh, heated seven times hotter than usual, and he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes and their trousers and turbans, it's just important for you to know they were clothed, I guess, and they were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. And the king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot and the flames of fire killed the soldiers that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. By the way, it was a good time to be one of the weak soldiers because like the strong, like real, like braggadocious, like I'm the Navy SEAL of soldiers and then the flame licked them up and they were dead. You know, the weak soldiers like, I'm the winner, you know? It was perfect time to be the weak soldier. It says, and three men firmly tied fell into the furnace. Not a good day to be a, a tough soldier. And there was Nebuchadnezzar. He's watching this all go down and there is rage on his face. When it says he was angry, it literally means his face was contorted. He was red faced. He was spitting mad, literally. And, and he's watching them go in that furnace and he's going, there they are. That's weird. They're not burning. They're not like crisping up or their ropes burned off, but now they're walking around and there's one, one, one two. Did we throw three or four? There's four guys in there and one of those guys doesn't quite look human. It says it right here. He says, look, I see four men unbound walking around in the fire unharmed and the fourth looks like a God. That was his way of saying, didn't look human. We don't know if it was, some people are like, hey, it was Jesus before Jesus was born to Mary. And some people are like, it was an angel and, and it's just not worth fighting over. It just, it ain't one of the three guys. It was like somebody not human. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they learn, uh, they discover really one of the most important truths a person could discover. And it's this, that God, God's closest in the furnace. God is closest in the furnace. Say that with me, because you need to know that's true. God is closest. No, stop. Say it like you mean it, not like, oh, come on. I know, it's evening time. It's a Tuesday night. You've had a long day. This is true. God is closest in the furnace. I have a theory, though. I have a theory that he's always close. It's just when we're in the furnace, we recognize that God is closest in the furnace. You see, it's when we're in the furnace that the dross of distractions are burned off and now we like see he was there all along. There's a little phrase that I hope you expunge from your library of phrases. Sometimes when people are given sort of a testimony, a story of God in their life, they'll tell about a difficult set of circumstances and they'll go, and then God showed up. And if you've ever said that, don't feel bad. Don't, really. I've said it before too. And then I realized something. God doesn't show up. He's there. He's been there all along. I mean, Jesus himself said, lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. The apostle Paul writes this in Romans 8. He says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, depth, anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ our Lord. Can anything separate us from the love of Christ? Can death do it? No. 
Can you be up on a high mountain? You could go on Everest. He's there. Go down in Grand Canyon or deepest part of the ocean. God doesn't show up. He's there. There's a theological expression for it. It's the omnipresence of God. He's present. It's just we become aware. Difficult situations make us aware. We don't cling to the distractions quite the same might be rocking out to vintage queen in the car on the ride to work, but all that has to happen is some real tough stuff at work. Something's on the line, and you're not listening to queen on the way to work anymore, right? You're praying fervently. You're really listening to the Bible. You're like trying, you're making deals with God left and right, you know, right? Am I? I'm right. It's what we do. It's not that we're manipulative. Well, okay, maybe we are, but if something else is going on, the distractions, the dross of all those distractions in the heat of the furnace, it's just melting away. And we go, he's here with me and I feel it and I'm grateful. And so uh, Nebuchadnezzar, it says, he, he calls the men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the most high God, come on, come on out of here. And I don't know about you, if I were them, I'm like, you come in here for a bit, you know? <laughs> I would, I would have been like trash talking. I'd be like, send in the magician Chaldean people that ratted us out. We want to have a talk with them right here in the furnace. They're going to love it in here. It's so nice, it's like a spa in here. Come on. You know, at least I'd be trash talking on my way out. Like, you know, who's sovereign now? Uh-huh, yeah, what, you, what were you saying about our God again? But they didn't. Says so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps and the prefects and the governors and the royal advisors they crowd around him. I mean, I would, wouldn't you? I'd be like touching the fabric of their clothes, sniffing it, doesn't smell like fire at all. And it said they saw the fire had not harmed their bodies. Now this is really kind of neat. This, this is something that's sort of lost in English translations. The fire had not harmed their bodies. And you probably know that the Bible was written in another language long ago. And this part of the Bible was written in a language called Aramaic, which is kind of like Hebrew. And uh, that, that expression, the fire had not harmed their bodies, this is what the expression literally would translate to. The fire did not have power. Isn't that good? I mean, I get tingly thinking about that. The fire did not have power. The fire doesn't have power. The fire had no power over them. Another way of looking at it is the, the fire has the power we give it. I mean, odds are, in whatever set of circumstances you're in, you're not gonna literally be put in a fire, right? You're gonna feel the heat though. And what's the heat? Fear. The fear only, only works if what? We give in to the fear. See, the, the, the fear only has the power that we give it. If we don't give the fear power, if we just go, <laughs> not today fear, not today fire. I, you just think about the, the situations where this might play out. I don't know your set of circumstances in life where you're being pulled into compromise that you know you ought not be pulled into. Forces are exerting themselves on you and you are having a hard time with your knees not buckling. Maybe it's in a friendship circle and you say, I might lose, I might lose these friends. It's taken me a while to build these friends. Well, join a small group, make new friends. Might be better than the old friends. In fact, I promise they will be better than the old friends. I might lose my, my family if I, if I really 
if I really live out my convictions here, this might cost me dearly with my family. You know that the church, one of the metaphors for the church is the family of God. You get to join a family known as the church. Depending on your family, it might be a massive upgrade. <laughs> I've met some different families out there and I'm like, mm, mm, mm. If that's your family, you know, maybe leave them alongside the road. Join, join in the family of God. I might lose my job. The unemployment rate's fantastic. Get a new one. Odds are right now, if you tell your employer, uh-uh, I'm not doing that, they're like, I'm sorry I even asked. Can you stay? It's, a, it's in your favor right now. Let me just tell you, if you don't know it, it's in your favor right now. This is a real one right here. Depending on um, the compromises you're being pushed into, the gravitational pull, you might go, I might, I might lose this boyfriend. I like him. I might lose this girlfriend. Let me just be honest with you. If, if that is you, just get your phone out right now and break up with them, all right, by text. <laughs> don't, actually, don't do that. Do it later, because we still got a worship song after this. And they'll call you back, and it'll be disruptive, don't. But if you're in a place where you're like, this relationship is really pulling me away from God. I, I, don't, I don't like that what's happening in our relationship. I don't like the compromises I'm making or, or they're calling me to make or the, the pressure I feel. Then you know what? I think you know your answer right now. You could do better. Singleness is a better option. It's a good option. I'm 50. I know a lot of people in my stage of life are like, I wish I was single, you know? So trust me. There are worse things. There are. The story has this incredible, this story has this incredible ending. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, he makes, he makes an incredible statement at the end. He's like, praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I mean, he goes from saying like, I have the best God. To, he's like, they have the best God. He sent an angel to rescue his servants who trusted in him. They defied the king's command, which incidentally is yours truly, my command. And they're willing to die rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Therefore, I, I make this decree. If any people, whatever their race or nation or language, speak a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, <laughs> they will be torn limb from limb. It, it, let's just be honest. Nebuchadnezzar needed a therapist. He was a very violent man. He was not, I mean, you got on his wrong side. You didn't happen usually twice, you know. And their houses will be turned into heaps of rubble, not just sold to somebody else who will destroy the house, which I think is overkill. You know, there's a housing shortage. And he says, there's no other God who can rescue like this. And then the king gives him a promotion, even a higher role. I, I, I just think there, this is the reason we tell this story, because honestly, if they just like got burned up in the fire, which still would have been cool based upon their character and their integrity, we probably wouldn't be reading that story. It happened once. We're reading about it the one time it occurred. And some people might be like, I don't think so. Yeah, it happened once, man. I mean, it's not a regular occurrence. The category this falls under is miraculous. So that's its own asterisk. And here it was. They, they become a living testimony and now a former testimony of the goodness of God and they get this incredible promotion and wouldn't it be awesome if it always worked that way? But it doesn't. There's a story in the early church about a 
early church leader named Polycarp. Great name. Another name to add to the, maybe I'll name my kid list, Polycarp, works for guys or gals, but Polycarp, the original, was a dude. He was an apostle, he was a disciple of the apostle John who wrote, you know, Gospel of John and three epistles in Revelation, very prolific author, you probably know him. And Polycarp uh, was a leader of the church and uh, the Roman Empire went through these surges of persecution and he just happened to be a high-ranking leader in one of the surges and Caesar was cracking down. And so he's trying to make an example, not of all Christians, because that would take too many resources, but he thought if we could highlight the big influential leaders and take them out, maybe what would happen is all the people would follow the example. If they would succumb, if they would bow down to the pressure. And so they went to Polycarp and they say, we've got a very fine solution for you. You can keep doing what you're doing. You just have to demote your Jesus and elevate Caesar and all the Roman gods. Little pinch of incense will do. We just want conformity, that's all. Everybody's doing it. Even people who don't believe Caesar's God. Trust me, if you work for him, you know he's not. So just do the deal and you'll be fine. And just don't pray to Jesus so much and don't tell people he's the only way. Just quit doing that. And Polycarp was an old man and maybe it was his age that gave him courage. I don't, I don't think it was the age though. I think it was God. This is what he said. We, we actually have uh, the story of his martyrdom recorded. It's pretty trustworthy. He says, 86 years I have been Christ's servant and he's done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king who saved me? He's been so faithful to me all these years. He's given me purpose. He's given me life. He's given me salvation and everlasting life. How can I do anything other than serve him? And he wasn't just being sentimental because when they finally got him in the arena and the fire's burning out there, they're like, one last chance. You either, you either bow down to Caesar or you burn. And he said, you threaten me with fire which burns for a season and after a little while is quenched. In other words, I mean, I'm only gonna be in the fire for a little while and then I'm dead. But you are ignorant of the fire of future judgment and eternal punishment, which is reserved for the ungodly. But why delay? <laughs> That's some courage. I'm not too terribly worried. I burn up, I'm with Jesus. But by the way, someday you're gonna meet him and you might regret the decisions you've made today. <clears throat> Courageous and true. Polycarp reminds us that we don't always walk out of the furnace. But that's okay. It's good enough to just be faithful. It's good enough to trust God. It's good enough to know that God will be there with us in those trials and those difficulties. No matter the outcome, there is one outcome that is guaranteed and it is forever and that's a pretty good outcome. So as we go into our uh, 122nd, I got some reflection questions. They're gonna be right here on the screen and you might pull out your phone, take a picture of it because here's my encouragement. At some point this week, come back to this. Take a picture of it now, go ahead. But come back to this at some point this week. We don't give you enough time in this 122nd to do justice to these questions. What are my convictions? You know, what am I known by? Does anybody know me by my convictions? Would anyone around me be able to name them? 
And then are, are my convictions rooted in God's word? Are they rooted in the world? Are they rooted in, do more people know my political opinions or my COVID opinions than my Christ opinions? Where are my convictions rooted? And then where are my convictions being tested? What is the avenue? What is the space in which I am being tested where my knees are about to go to the floor? And I don't want that outcome, but I'm being tested. And then where, let's be honest, where am I failing or have failed? That requires some honesty, some self-reflection. Some of us are self-aware and we can name it right now. And someone's going, I'm not failing. I haven't failed. Really? This is not a place for perfect people. This is not a church for perfect people. We're all in process. We've all got some level of failure. So where is it? And then last question, this is an important one. If you're not in a small group, you should be. We'll help you do that. But how can my small group, how can my small group support me in this? And how can I be a support to the others in my group? If you never talk about this stuff in your group, you should. There's an opportunity. And so I want to encourage you to do something. In the next 120 seconds, we do this every week, and then the team's going to come out and lead us in a closing worship song. But in this moment, you have a couple minutes. It's quiet. It's reflective. It's thoughtful. It's prayerful. But we also have friends that are in the back, and they, they love to pray with you, and they want to pray with you. And I know there's a lot. If you're like me, you're like, yeah, someone else in deep need goes to the prayer people. I'll just do my thing with God. But maybe tonight's the night you've never done it. Maybe tonight's the night you find that person, you go, there's been some compromise in my life and I don't like it. I want this to be the start of a new chapter. And so find that person. They'll be glad. They will not judge you. They will be glad to pray with you. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna go into this, this time together. Father, it is a real privilege to come together and worship, open up scripture, be challenged by your word. Thank you for it. Lord, would you walk with us? We know you do, but we'd invite you to do it. Would you challenge us? Would you open our eyes, open our minds, help us see the spaces in our life where little and big uh, uh, compromises have occurred and we need a new chapter in our lives. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we want to be written in the pages of history as faith-filled people who live faith-filled lives. So let the compromise be a thing of the past and let fortitude be the thing of the future. We know you want this for us. We trust you with it.